0: Montes, vodka, unusual, one extra large tortilla chips, one six pack of finished lager, two Bacardi breeders in a can and a copy of the Daily Telegraph, that'll be £22.90 please love. Just swipe the card there. Oh, it's declined the payment. Oh really? Well that's, that's not right. It says payment declined. Might be a glitch somewhere. Try again love. Okay. Nah, it's a section 10b. Of what? Section 10b of the Central Bank Digital Currency and Morals Act
1: 2024.
0: Um, what, what does that mean? Oh, God, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Hold on. But it's, it's, it's my money. I mean, I've got more than enough in my account. Oh, here it is. Section 10b. Um, says here you're either a convicted felon or a morally delinquent person or a drunk. Well, that's ridiculous. Sorry, rules is rules. They're really cracking down on alcoholics right now. It's that prohibition, innit? Can't have all them alkies all over the place. Messes everything up, innit? But but that's truly horrifying. Nah, that Maltese vodka's truly horrifying, mate.
2: This is Digital Currency Now, the world's most up-to-date and hot digital currency news show. And I'm your host, Lawrence Proll. LLB, BOE, GLC, and BAR. And the BAR is the one at the Ritz. In this episode, we're going to talk about why the adoption of digital currencies could be the end of personal privacy as we know it. But first, a word from our sponsor.
0: Folks, do you suffer from relentless Verrucus? You're not alone. Those wickedly persistent warts are a curse which we all suffer from and eventually die from.
1: Don't worry that podcast is not this podcast. It's actually the beginning of an episode of the always controversial local radio show that goes out on Radio Hertfordshire. Its host is Dr. Lawrence Prohl, Associate Professor of Legal Studies here at South Mims U. And I'm here in his bedsit to talk about a very interesting subject. If I may say, oh, yes, bedsit, these are my chambers. You're in chambers, dear boy. Uh, It looks like a bedsit, I think, Lawrence.
2: Bijou, yes, but chambers, certainly.
1: Oh, OK then. Well, I'm here in Lawrence's chambers. At the start of the show, you heard a dramatisation of what would happen if, in the future, all money was digital.
2: And I must say, if anything ever did, your acting in that clip deserved at least an Oscar night slap. (laughs) Very droll, Prol. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Actually, I think a slap is probably all your acting deserved.
1: But that little vignette illustrated a possibility that very few people realise could be on the horizon if, and it's still a big if, digital currencies and central bank-issued digital money ever became the norm.
2: People get carried away by the ease of digital money and the disruptive potential it has to undermine the power of established institutions like central banks and commercial banks. But they forget that there are more downsides to digital money, as well as the possibility that it could lead to even more state control over all our lives.
1: Well, given the rhetoric of most cryptocurrency evangelists, that sounds um, almost heretical.
2: It is heretical. There is an awful lot of wishful thinking out there about digital money and digital finance. The ideas behind Bitcoin, the blockchain and decentralized finance based on so-called innovative fintech is naive in the extreme, in my opinion. It could be the gateway to a repressive future in which our lives, and more specifically our morals, can be controlled by some self-appointed moral minority, which of course would claim it is a majority. Hence the little
1: sketch at the top of the show, where I was denied access to alcohol. Indeed,
2: hence that little skit, which I wrote myself actually. Mm.
1: Well, it was almost Samuel Beckett-like in its bleakness, Lawrence. Thank you.
2: I try to bring in a little literary sparkle to this show when I can.
1: Well, we're always very grateful. So explain what will seem to many to be a rather extreme claim. How could digital money lead to moral tyranny?
2: Go back to the first attempt at a general prohibition against alcohol. In
1: the United States?
2: Yes, with the passage of the 18th Amendment to the US Constitution in 1919. It prohibited the manufacture, sale or transportation of intoxicating liquors, which, in effect, outlawed booze. Of course, we know that all that produced was a new way for criminals to make money and for ordinary people to break the law. Unless a policeman could prove that liquor was being sold or transported, the liquor got sold or transported. Money changed hands between gangsters and speakeasy proprietors and speakeasy proprietors and ordinary members of the public seeking just a a stiff drink. Sure, we've all seen the movies and the newsreel clips, the, the roaring 20s and all that. Indeed, but I think if the money had been digital, even if it was Bitcoin or any other kind of digital currency, there'd be an indelible record of every transaction on the blockchain. Now, if the digital currency were to be issued by the central bank, by the government in effect, then there would be ultimate traceability of every unit of currency in every transaction. No privacy at all. But I thought Bitcoin was anonymous. Ah, It might seem as if it is. It's just an encrypted string of numbers and symbols after all, but ultimately it belongs to someone And that someone can be traced. Not just that. You can trace where each unit of currency has been, who owned it, and what they sold it for. If, that is, a central authority does not set its value. Which it would be if it were a central bank digital currency.
1: I didn't realise that. Well,
2: Well, now you do. So that's why
1: in the sketch, the payment terminal could link the money I was attempting to spend to what I was attempting to buy, right?
2: Yes, there are definite privacy implications when it comes to digital. What we forget in the rush to digital finance is that cash is anonymous. Unless you can market physically in some way, it can change hands with impunity. Okay, so if we had an authoritarian government,
1: they could track where each unit of currency went and who owned it, who spent it,
2: on what and with whom. And crucially, they could make moral judgments about what you were spending it on. Well, that's just frightening. It's what stopped you from enjoying the delights of that Maltese vodka. Oh, I was looking forward to that. It was fig flavour. It would have made you blind, dear boy.
1: So the prohibition of the future, the digital prohibition that might be ahead of us, could be targeted to each
2: individual. Yes. So if you had a record of alcohol abuse, you could be denied the ability to purchase it. But that might actually be good for you. Ultimately, though, it's your personal choice. If you want to drink yourself to death, why should anyone stop you? Well, it's bad for society, isn't it? Well, yes, you can argue that, because it isn't restricting an individual's freedom even worse for society. Of course, you might save the life of the alcoholic, perhaps even cut off funds from criminal gangs that sell illicit alcohol, but in the end, we all then become potential victims of an authoritarian government, which might be run by a moral minority of fanatics. That was, after all, how Prohibition in the USA came to pass. A long-term campaign by a few temperance extremists managed to gain traction in Congress and Senate, and the Volstead Act was then passed.
1: Named after Andrew Volstead of Minnesota.
2: Yes, he introduced the Act and so it was named after him. You clearly did some research on this show. Well, a little. Now, the debate about digital currencies especially those that might be issued by central banks, seldom focuses on the possibility it could be used for social engineering. But I think it's vital that we debate that now, before we make decisions which would be hard, frankly, to unpick. You
1: could actually programme the money itself to stop you buying prohibited items,
2: isn't that right? Yes, that would be the next logical step. Our scene had you at a till with a real shop assistant. Many of us use self-checkout tills. Now, of course... They are increasingly being programmed to use artificial intelligence linked with cameras to ensure that people under legal drinking age don't buy booze. Not just to check out your grey hair or, or lack of it, but also to ensure that you haven't switched a barcode to pass off a bottle of booze as a bottle of pop. Pop. Soda, fizzy drink, something soft. That sounds almost poetic, Lawrence. Oh, thank you. Now, with a digital currency, you can actually program the money to stop it being spent on specific goods.
1: So it won't matter how old you are?
2: No. Under prohibition, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, no one gets one drop of the demon drink. Would people really propose this? Oh, have you seen the state of global politics lately? Yeah. I see what you mean. And it's not just the prohibition of booze. It could be fat or sugar or salt. And it could be related to your BMI. BMI? Yes. Your weight would be recorded as a matter of legal necessity and your money would be linked to that reading. And when you're in a store, it would refuse to pay for a, a creamy chocolate eclair or a billionaire's cheesecake.
1: I could never work out what's in a billionaire's cheesecake.
2: Well, with, with the state of your girth and in this scenario, you're never likely to find out. that is very, very frightening. You can give sections of the population state aid in the form of digital currency and limit what they can buy with it. You'll often hear right-wing moralists complaining that the poor use their state handouts to buy cigarettes or to use it in slot machines. Well, yeah, well, I mean, that's a very common trope. And it's a trope too far if it's backed by state benefits programmed to only be used for so-called moral goods. Healthy foods, paying utility bills, buying cheap clothes for the kids, like that, that kind of thing. No fish and chips, no takeout kebabs, no Netflix, no Siggy's. That's truly chilling. And uh, nothing from the chill cabinet either. <laughs> the central government could even reprogram money to have a different value. And do it in an instant. So a currency can be devalued separate from market forces like inflation or deflation. So it's not even good for capitalism? Not the free market kind, no. At least in my opinion. You know,
1: I'm, I'm beginning to agree with you, Lawrence. There is a definite case for cash. What you mean in terms of individual privacy? I mean, I'm starting to
2: see your point. We are already in a situation in which most of our transactions are digital. In the sense that we use cards and phones and so there is a data trail that can link us to what we bought, when we bought it and where we bought it. You know, I didn't even think of that. Well, it's become so natural and effortless but it's having a detrimental effect, not just on our privacy but on our psychological well-being too. Well, how so? Well, In a recent book, The Future of Money by Harvard Professor Eswar S. Prasad, he makes a compelling case for the psychological benefits of physical money. Now, this guy is far from being a Luddite. He thinks digital money will basically be a good thing, but there'll be downsides to it and we must be aware of those. Well, how can there be a psychological downside to going cashless? Cash in your hand, physical coins and banknotes are tangible things of value. Cash triggers a distinct emotional response in all of us. Count out £100 or dollars in cash and it's, it's well, it's it's a satisfying feeling. A one and two zeros plus a currency symbol on a screen is, well, it's just a number on a screen, isn't it? It's hard to see it as something real, something of value.
1: Well, oh, I see what you mean. I mean, I'm looking at my balance on screen now in my banking app.
2: Oh dear boy, that's not good.
1: Oh, they don't pay so well at South Mims.
2: But if you had that rather slight amount in cash, you'd feel much better. Would I? Oh, you would. Now, there's another argument for cash, an argument that many listeners will find surprising, perhaps even distasteful. What is it? Some thinkers believe that cash is not just an agent of individual freedom. You can do what you want with it without the government seeing, but it also helps protect us against authoritarian moralists. How does it do that? Through the black market and bribes. That does sound controversial, Lawrence. I'll explain. An economist called Geoffrey Hummel has argued that prohibition was only repealed, ultimately, because cash enabled ordinary people to circumvent the law. The same is happening with laws against marijuana. It is currently being effectively legalised because of the illicit market. And in both cases, bribery has also played a key role. Now, let me explain. Cash, which is after all anonymous, enables people on both sides of a transaction to evade the law, and it does so on a huge scale. Cash enables people to effectively vote with their cash when they buy something that the state doesn't want us to consume, that is booze and weed. The fact that the law can be easily evaded via the black market means that the law eventually falls into disrepute and it becomes simply unworkable it then becomes very expensive for the state to enforce it. More funds have to be channelled to the police so the prohibition can be maintained, more people go to prison, that costs a lot of money. The costs eventually become more than the state can bear. Okay, but you said bribes, what about bribes? Cash bribes also undermine law enforcement. They enrich criminals of course, but also lead to other social costs. The prohibition then becomes counterproductive and eventually it is repealed and the power of the moralists is undermined. All because of cash. Lovely clanking coins and crisp notes that are always so private and untraceable. Fascinating. Other commentators believe that if cash completely disappeared then gangsters would just invent their own to get around the traceability of crypto. And that's already happening. I thought crypto was the currency of choice amongst criminals. Oh, that's so passé. That's such an out-of-date idea. In fact, as I said before, the state is getting better and better at being able to trace crypto holdings and then bust criminal gangs. Not so long ago, a sex trafficking operation, which was run entirely on crypto, was hacked by the authorities simply because they did everything using Bitcoin and other digital currencies. Oh, well,
1: Lawrence, that's been really fascinating.
2: Well, now, I think it's time for my fee, don't you think?
1: Oh, well, I, um... I thought you were doing this for free.
2: <laughs> Not on your life, dear boy.
1: Well, okay, well, give me your account number uh, and I'll send you the fee from our podcast account. No,
2: no, sorry, I, I only deal in cash.
1: Oh, right, of course, naturally. Well, um, I've got, uh, well, here's a, here's a fiver no. and s- uh, 74p, is that okay?
2: Mm, very generous of you.
1: Okay, well, right. So, dear listeners, beware the cryptocurrency revolution. Cash needs to remain king. I hope you found this episode of the South MIMS U podcast informative and stimulating. Please check out our other episodes and come back for more. Goodbye. (music)